rest of you are going to be in the book of Hebrews today. Hebrews chapter 1. The theme from the scripture readings have been about God speaking. And we're going to continue that with the message right here this morning. Hebrews chapter 1. Don't stand yet. Just uh, We'll stand here in a minute. Uh, we're up and down in this church. We are an exercising church, brother. And, and I'm glad of that. Uh, I want to say this, that a lot of times lately, just in the topic of discussion with people uh, all over, not just uh, in the church, but people outside, on the news, reading things that are happening in our world, we get a lot of uh, concern happening about the times that we're living in. Uh, we have an election coming up here in about a week, and we're concerned about that. You know, we, we just see a divided nation, a, a divided world, even uh, war, and so forth. And we all know that that is part of the scripture. Jesus warned us that those things would happen and that we shouldn't be surprised about it. But there is uh, some things that we need to do. What can we do living in times like this? Hopelessness, a sense of tension and fear and concern and worry. You know, Romans chapter 8 even speaks about creation itself longing for the redemption of man. Even our world uh, suffers, so to speak, because of pollution and other things that are uh, poured into it. And so we want to make sure that we have a, a plan or a way that we can do things. The, the idea behind what we can do. So Christians, uh, we know the answer to all of this. The, the uh, answer is Jesus. Amen? The answer for us is Jesus. Now, the problem is how do we get the world to believe our answer? How do I get the world to believe the answer is Jesus? And why doesn't the world believe the answer is Jesus? Why don't they believe what we say about the Lord? Could it be that we as Christians don't always portray the fact that we live like we believe and the world watches that does the world see me saying one thing and doing something else does the world see me as a church going person on Sunday but during the week they don't see anything about church in my life maybe that's why they don't believe the answer because the answer hasn't changed me hasn't affected me, so maybe it probably won't affect them. Now, I'm not sure that that's the case for all of you this morning. I don't even want that to be the case for myself. But the idea is this, that we need to understand why the world doesn't believe. And I, I want to be able to help make the world believe. And so one way that I can do that is being a Christian, I can act like a Christian. I can do what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I can serve and love the Lord the way I'm supposed to love Him. That's what the world needs, right? It's an example. That's what brought me to Christ was watching other Christians or people called Christians always having a smile, always living life full, living life forward, and that attracted me, that attracted people, the love that Christ had for his people and, and for myself. So this is the theme of 
Hebrews, the book. Now, we uh, find that whoever wrote this, and by the way, we really don't know the author, so to speak, Paul, Apollos, uh, all kinds of different names have been thrown out there, who wrote it. We don't even really know when it was written, and we don't know the target to whom it was written, like the community or the church where it was directed. Let me clear all of that up for you this morning, okay? God wrote Hebrews, all right? Other men have dictated things that God spoke through them. And certainly that's the case with this letter, just because we don't have a dictator's name on it or a person who took the dictation from God. We know who wrote the letter. It was God himself. And so this letter was written to a group of Jewish believers who had begun to lose their way. They had begun to drift away from God. They had begun to weakened in their faith and their belief about God. And all of this probably had to do with persecution and pressure from the outside. Remember, this was around the time that the Romans were turning up the heat on the Jews in Jerusalem, and around 70 A.D. the city was destroyed. So we believe that this was written before that because there's really no mention of that event in this letter. But the heat still turned up on the Christian community, persecution and death and so forth and so on. So many of them were kind of backing away from it because they'd all been taught that Jesus was coming back. But he hadn't showed up yet. So now they begin to question in themselves, is this Christianity really true? And is Jesus Christ really real? And is he ever coming back? So they begin to fade away from the church and from Christ. So the God had this letter written to them to encourage them and to lift them up. And so with that thought in mind, let's stand and read just the first three verses of this letter that was written to these Jewish believers, wherever they may have been. Verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high." Let's stop there today and let's pray together. Father, bless our time as your church and bless as we look into your word and we learn about this man named Jesus. You in the flesh, Father, help us to understand him more and more and see that he is the answer to all of the problems in our life. And we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting to me how the writer, unlike Paul, probably most scholars believe Paul wrote this, but unlike Paul's other letters, he doesn't give a greeting. He doesn't say, hi, everybody, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that he does in a lot of his letters. He just starts out with a statement. 
you know, there's no debate, there's no argument, there's no uh, heresy that he needs to address, there's nothing that, that is out of the ordinary other than he just starts with God. So, God spoke. Amen. That's really all that we need to know. I gave this title today, God's Final Word. And and we'll get into that and we'll see that in just a moment. God has spoken through His Son and being the supreme and ultimate... I lost my clicker. Aha! Throw it! That a girl. Softball. (laughs) Softball pitcher. Here's what I was trying to say. God has spoken with His Son, being the supreme and final revelation from God. And we will discuss that as we go through uh, these three verses this morning. In the past, God spoke through the prophets, as it says there in verse 1. As I said, He gave no greeting. There are two key thoughts that the writer of Hebrews gave us here. God is and God has spoken. All right, so let's go and look at God is. Uh, It doesn't say God is there in the verse, but you understand by him starting with God that this writer believes God is, okay? And that he is all that there is. So uh, similar to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. So God is, is very similar to that statement we found in Genesis. No debate, no philosophizing, no argument, no... uh, Disagreement against skeptics, he just makes the flat-out statement that God is. In fact, the writer uses God in that term 68 times in this letter. So God is. You know, few other books in the Bible can hold up to that, that explain God and Jesus any better and in any way than the book of Hebrews. And you say, well, what about the atheist or the agnostic? Shouldn't he reason out for them why God is? And I want you to know, the agnostic and the atheist have doubts, and they don't believe that God exists, but that does not hinder the fact that God is. And the writer here doesn't even give them any credit of thought to debate them about it, because he just knows and understands that God exists. Now, the atheist and the agnostic, they disbelieve or have doubts about God to their own peril. Believing in God is not a matter of rational thinking. You don't reason it out. It boils down to a matter of sin. You either hate your sin and love God who... uh, frees you from that, or you love your sin and hate God who is opposed to your sin. That's what agnosticism and atheism is about. It's not about rational thinking and evidence. It's about a man loving his sin and rejecting the God who hates his sin. That's what that's about. The writer of Hebrews doesn't even begin to go there on that level. He's assuming that all of us, you and I included, and the Jewish believers he wrote to, understand that God is. Do you believe that? Do you understand that God is? He doesn't have to explain it. It's just a matter of fact. 
The second thing he says is God has spoken. Verse 1, God after he spoke. So God is and God has spoken. He is not silent. God chose to reveal himself to you. If God had not chosen to do so, you would not know him. You could not know him. But God has chosen to let himself be known to us. He did that because he loves us. And he did that so that we could come into a relationship with him. God spoke. Amen. He's not silent. He has made himself known. Romans chapter 1 tells us God has spoken through the creation. He says men will say, well, God doesn't exist. And Romans 1, Paul argues, look, you can look at the stars and tell that there is a creator, God. You don't have to have an explanation of how he speaks or how he exists. Just look around you at the creation and you can understand that there is a creator, God. So Hebrews uses a specialized revelation, not through creation, but through God's spoken word. So God reveals himself through what he makes and he reveals himself through what he says, his word to us. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. If God had chosen not to reveal Himself, we could not know Him and we would all be guessing what He's like. We would all be guessing if He exists or not. We would all be guessing if He is or is not. So the Scripture is very clear about God being and God is and God speaking. Look what Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians 4. In whose case the God, little g, of this world world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the devil is at work in blinding the minds of those who don't believe. Jesus comes and takes the blinders off so you can see him through creation, and through what is spoken by God the Father in His Word. The devil blinds people. Jesus removes that veil. So, that's proof right there that the devil is against God, but God is and God has spoken. Here's another verse, 1 Corinthians 2.14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually understood. So a lost man, a natural man in the flesh, does not accept the things of God. He cannot accept them because they are spiritual things. So again, God speaks, right, and his word goes out, and those who have received Christ become reborn and spiritual, and they begin to understand the ways and the words of God. Now, there's a misconception among people today that we say, well, I decided to get saved. I decided this morning to walk down the aisle and get saved at the church. I've lived for 10 years debating this in my life, and today's the day I've decided to do that. That is a misconception, my friend. If God has not drawn you and revealed himself to you, you would never even think that. 
you would never know Him, understand Him, see Him, or be in any relationship with Him, or even have the inkling that He exists, unless He draws you, unless He calls you, unless He reveals Himself to you. Don't think that today you decided to get saved. That's baloney. Today you decided to surrender to that calling that's been on your life all of these years. You didn't decide to do anything. God decides, and He pulls and draws, and you've got to let go and follow. That's the idea in salvation. Not that you decide, but God decides. You see that? Look what it says here in John 6, 44. Jesus said these red-letter words, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. If God had not revealed himself to you, you would not be a Christian today. God had not drawn you to himself. You would not be a Christian today. So it is God who does this. God, after he spoke. Amen. God is and God speaks. Amen. That's what we can gather out of those first verses there in Hebrews chapter 1. Now what happens to other people who, who come and, and they're really not... Um, they make a, an attempt, they make a, a religious experience of coming forward and praying a prayer and going through baptismal waters, or, and yet they just seem to wander away after all of that experience. What, what about those people? It really boils down to pride. Now, you might think that's in opposition to what I should say, but it boils down to pride. I remember when I was 14 years old and I went to church camp and I had an experience with God there at church camp and I came home that next Sunday and one of my friends who also went to camp, he walked down the aisle. I had no inclination, no inkling to walk down the aisle until I had my head bowed and I looked up and there goes my buddy down the aisle. And I said, hey, what's he doing? Oh, I know he's going down to get saved. I better do that. And so I got up and I went down the aisle just because my friend went down the aisle. I didn't feel God necessarily pulling me or calling me. I, I was blinded. But because he did, I did. Because she will, I will. Because they do, I do. You see, that was the thinking of even a lot of people today in our churches. God has to call you and reveal himself to you and draw you for you to come to Jesus. Isn't that just what Jesus said there in those verses? No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And so it's not an idea that I do what you do. I might know what I need to do, but I don't have the energy or will or gumption to do it until God calls us. And draws us to himself. And so pride pulls into the issue of people coming and going through a religious experience, ending up in that water and going out that door and not returning. It's all because of pride. 
Pride's a dangerous thing, right? Amen. We don't want to have that pride. We want to have the revelation of God to us. So without that revelation, we know nothing about God. We see nothing about God. We understand nothing about God. We are in total darkness without God speaking to us. Why? Because He loves us and He wants that relationship with us. Now, there's two things that He speaks on or, or moves into after speaking that we find there in Revelation. The first one is, God spoke long ago to the fathers in many portions. What does that mean in, in many portions? It means there's 39 books in the Old Testament. Each one of those is a portion. And each one of those books, God spoke to man through the prophet who recorded that book. So God speaks in many portions, and then it goes on to say, and God speaks in many ways. Now, what does that mean, he speaks in many ways? He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. He spoke to the Israelites on Mount Sinai as it quaked and thundered and rattled and rolled. God spoke. God speaks through angels. God speaks through thunder. We just sang a song this morning about God thundering around the world. God speaks in many ways to mankind. Amen? So He speaks in many portions and in many ways long ago through the prophets. Amen? Do you see that? Now, a third way that God speaks is a progressive way. God speaks through the Old Testament, but it was incomplete. If you just had the Old Testament to read only, and I can understand now why Jews are like they are, because they don't have the New Testament, to complete the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells us about God revealing Himself, and it, it's like a crescendo. It just keeps building and building and building until the end of the Old Testament, and then the Jews cut it off. But you and I have the New Testament, and we get to continue that praise and glory as we see what all of the Old Testament was building up to. It was building up to Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what it built to. And so we see a progression in the way God spoke. In the beginning, God created and then we come to the end of that Old Testament and we see that God is getting ready to do a great thing. The fulfillment of all of that Old Testament. Jesus Christ coming. And guess what? There's nothing after Him. Everything builds towards Him. He is everything. There is nothing after Christ. We don't have Acts chapter 29 because Jesus fulfilled it. We don't have anything other than God bringing His people home left to discover in this book. Christ came and fulfilled all of it. So God spoke in many portions, in many ways, and He spoke progressively, meaning from beginning to the culmination of of Jesus Christ, His Son. Alright? Now how do we know that? Because we have to finish the verse. Let's start at the beginning. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son. 
These last days, it says there. What does that mean, these last days? The last days of the writer's life? The last days of the apostle's life? No, it means the last days, the days of the Messiah, the days of the church. That's the last day. You and I are living in these last days. I'll grant you they've been around for 2,200 plus years. But they are still the last days. So God has spoken long ago in the prophets. But in these days you and I live in, He has spoken to us in His Son. You notice it says in His Son. It doesn't say through His Son. Isn't that interesting? We think God would speak to us through Jesus, but it doesn't say that. It says He speaks to us in His Son. What is he saying there? If I uh, went somewhere that I did not know the language, and they asked me, what language do you speak in? I would say English. I speak in English. Okay? Or I speak in uh, Spanish. Or I speak in Russian. We don't say I speak through Russian or speak through English. We speak in. So God has spoken in His Son. In the life of Jesus Christ, God spoke. Amen? God told of Himself. God showed who He was. God revealed in His Son the plan of salvation. God revealed the forgiveness of sin in His Son. God has spoken in His Son. So I want you to gather that up and think about that, if you can, with me, that God spoke in many portions in the Old Testament. He spoke in many ways in the Old Testament. But today, you and I live in the time when God speaks to us through His Son. In the past, through the prophets, but now, in the present, He speaks through His Son. Just as His voice echoed on that Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter and James and John went to the top of the mount with Jesus. He was transfigured before them, and God boomed from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Right? God speaks today through Jesus Christ. That's what you and I need to understand. The divine story of progression. To Christ, there is nothing beyond Him. He is the supremely final words of God to us. Three things I want you to see, and I'm going to close with these. All right? Let me get to them. Here we go. Number one, when you read your Bible, you need to interpret it Christologically. I'm throwing a new word at you, okay? Christologically, from the Old Testament all the way through to the end of the New Testament, you need to interpret the Bible with Christ in the middle. He is the fulfillment of the Old and the New. He is all there is to need to know about that. He is everything to you and I. The Old Testament looks to the fulfillment of Christ, the New Testament reveals Him as the final revelation of God to mankind. So when you read the Bible, you better see it as Jesus Christ, 
coming, arriving, and home. When you read the Old Testament, don't try to figure out all of the ins and outs and the theology. I'm not telling you not to study theology and church history and, and all of those things. But when you read your Bible and you study it, you better put Christ in it everywhere. Because that's what it is. That's what it's about. That's what it's for. Amen? Christ coming. Christ arriving. Christ accomplishing. Christ at home. That's what the Bible is about, and God wants you to see that. The Old Testament, then, is important for us because it talks about Him coming. Look what it says in Galatians 3, 24. Therefore, the law, or the Old Testament, has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Amen? So, the Old Testament was given to us as example and pointing us towards the coming Messiah, Jesus. The New Testament fulfills all of that for us. Interpret your Bible, my brothers, Christologically. All right? The second thing I want you to see is we should not look for or expect a new revelation from God. Now, you might be shocked about that. You might say, oh, but I've heard preaching on the, on the radio or on the TV where they said, I got a new revelation. You can count that man as a false prophet. I'm telling you right now today, amen, there will be no new revelations. There won't be any new word coming from God about the end times. We have everything that we need in Jesus Christ. God spoke long ago to the fathers through the prophets but in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. So God's not going to say something else new. There's not going to be something changed. In fact, Jesus warned us about that while He was here. Did He not? In Matthew 24 and so forth, He said, You're going to hear things about Christ is over here, or Christ is over there. Christ has come. Christ is standing here now. But He said, Don't believe Him. Don't believe a word about it because it's not true, right? The next time that we see Jesus Christ is when He splits that eastern sky and He comes for His church. Amen? That's the next step in Bible prophecy. There are no new revelations. So when you read the Koran, which I hope you don't, but if you get interested and want to pick it up and read it, you can understand it's a false book. It came from Mohammed. Mohammed is a false prophet. All right? He's changing. He's saying there's a different way of life, a different change, a different approach. God is this, but Jesus is not this. That's false. Or you can pick up the uh, Book of Mormon from Joseph Smith. You can understand Joseph Smith is a false prophet. The Mormon church is a false church. Just understand it. Accept that. Don't be ashamed of it. Stand on the ground of the Bible and Christ. The Mormon church is leading people astray because it changes and says there's new revelation from God. Joseph Smith found golden bars in New York and translated those into the Book of Mormon. Man, that's as false as it can get. Amen? Beware of that. What about, um, oh, I wrote her name in here. Mary Baker Eddy. Anybody heard of Mary Baker Eddy? The Church of Scientology? False prophet. False teaching. 
false ways. What about Charles Taze Russell, the beginning of the Jehovah's Witness Church and the Jehovah Witness Movement? False prophet, false teaching, everything like that. All of these religions that come out, other than Christianity, are false. There cannot be multiple. There cannot be different ways. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. So every other religion is false. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. That's what the Bible teaches us. We should not look for or expect a new revelation from God. The last thing, if you are not reading your Bible, let me say it again, if you are not reading your Bible, you are not growing in Christ. All right? You need God's Word to grow. You don't grow on your own. You quit watering a plant. You quit feeding a plant. You quit nourishing a plant. You quit shining light on a plant. It dies. It perishes. You are the same, my friend. You stop watering your soul with God's Word. You stop feeding your soul with God's meat. You stop shining the light of the gospel of Christ on your life. You will dwindle and wither and die. You need God's Word to grow. You don't need it to grow bigger, all right? You need it to grow deeper. God wants you to get into a deeper and further relationship with Him. Yes, we need to study all of the Bibles and all of those things, but yet we need to know that God has spoken in the past through the prophets, but today He speaks to us through His Son. All of these things I need to know, theology, history, prophecy, those are good to study in study groups and, and Bible studies and different things. But I want you to know this, the thing you need to know from them is submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those teachings should bring you to a place of submission. Christianity is Christ. That's what it is. So how are you on that path? It's a most crucial question that Jesus asked his disciples. He said, who do the people say that I am? And they had all kinds of answers, right? A prophet. Some of you say Elijah. Some of you say Jeremiah. And then he turns to his 12 and he says, but who do you say I am? And Peter spoke for them and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not tell you that, Peter, but my Father told you that. Who do you say Jesus is? Oh, he's an important figure. Yes, I, I need to follow his example. He, he's a, he was a great man. He was a great teacher, right? That's all them other religions I mentioned to you earlier. That's what they think of him. Great man, great teacher, great prophet. But who do you say that he is? Who does God say that He is? You need to know that. You need to know what God says about His Son. And it's found right here in the Bible. Hebrews is a great book. We're going to go through that book the next couple of months or more. All right? On Sunday mornings, Sunday nights. So I pray that you would discover with me and the rest of us what the book of Hebrews says about Jesus Christ. No other book describes Him like this book. No other book elevates him and lifts him like this book lifts him. So Hebrews is not a, a description of the message. It's a description of the messenger. 
The Gospels are a description of the message. Hebrews is a description of the messenger. So I pray that you come tonight and, and, and uh, we'll have the Lord's Supper tonight and the business meeting. And the next time we're together, we'll dig in deeper on this. Jesus is the message. Have you heard it? Have you heard that Jesus Christ is the answer to the problems? Let me begin or end by the beginning. We worry, we're concerned, we have fear, we have tension, a sense of hopelessness in our world today. What can we do? We know as Christians the answer to the world's problem. The problem is making the world believe the answer. Why doesn't the world believe us? Why doesn't the world believe what we say? Is it because we do not act like we believe ourselves? What can I do? I can start living the Christian life. I can start acting like a Christian. I can start being the person God calls me to be. God is speaking to us even today. Let's pray together. Father, bless this time as your Holy Spirit moves in our lives and convicts us of the things that we are not lining up with Scripture. There are habits and attitudes and, and uh, improper ways and thoughts and teachings and all the things that men can get tangled up in. Lord, that's part of our life as well. And I pray this morning you help to release that from my life. I pray for all of us this morning that we begin to act like we are Christian. That we begin to stand on the gospel and the message of Christ. He is your final word. There is no more. Father, Jesus is the answer. Help me to live in such a way that I show that to all that you bring in my path. And we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.